0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: You know, how many owners come to the Best Players bachelor party? So Cubes came to mind, and we had a blast. And that shows what kind of relationship we have and, and had over the years.
0: Is there anything you can share about the bachelor party involving Cubes? Yeah,
1: we went one night within Toronto, and then we did two nights in Vegas, and that's about as much as <laughs> as much as I can say.
0: Welcome to the Jim Rohn Podcast. What's going on? We have episode number four, and I will be straight. We keep rolling these things out, and we simply keep raising the bar. Today, I've got two amazing conversations for you. NBA legend Dirk Nowitzki, NFL legend William McGinnis. Now, we have covered an insane amount of ground here, a lot of ground that we have not touched before, stories that you probably have not heard before. So, I am hyped to share this episode with you. Once again, these are the types of long form interviews that I have never done, nor really could ever do on my daily radio program on CBS Sports Radio. Now, before we get to those conversations with Dirk and William McGinnis, let me talk to you about Bombas. How often do you think about your socks? Now, I feel like I used to be, probably not very often, but I recently discovered socks that have changed the way I'll think about socks forever. They're called Bombas. Bombas are the most comfortable socks ever. I love that these socks do not fall down your leg during the day, and they do not get killed after a run through the dryer. Each wear is like the very first. They're made from premium cotton. Bombas stay warm in the winter and cool in the summer. They're made from premium cotton, and Bombas stay warm in the winter and cool in the summer. And every single pair comes with a built-in blister tab, innovative arch support, stay-up technology, and a seamless toe. Look, we dress the part at the office, so I'm in the Bombas dress socks Monday through Thursday, and then the casual Americanos on Fridays. All of them are super fashionable and super comfortable. Bombas are what feet daydream about. And for every Bombas purchase you make... Bombas. Donates a pair to somebody in need. Keep cool, keep comfortable, and keep contributing with the best socks in the history of feet. Bombas. Buy one pair or four at bombas.com slash today and get 20% off your very first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash for 20% off. Bombas.com slash Rome. So I've got that tremendous conversation with Dirk Nowitzki coming up, but before we get there, I do want to clear the tape on my machine. If you don't already know, I've set up a voicemail specifically for this podcast. The idea is you can call anytime about anything at all. I'm trying to keep this thing interactive. I'm trying to find a role for you. Unfortunately, it's been exactly what I thought it would be. A freaking disaster. Last week being the worst batch yet. I said it then. I'll say it again right now. Don't think that I won't rip the cord right from the wall and take a baseball bat to this thing. I'm this close. But not quite there yet. In fact, I'm genuinely curious what everybody dialed in with after a huge weekend in boxing, college football, and the NFL. So what the hell? For at least one more week, let's see what's on the tape.
2: You have 13 new messages. First new message.
0: How's it going, Rome? Benny and Whisco you could pass this along to uh, Albie, the fantasy
1: guru for me. I have some uh, lineup questions for you. Uh, quarterback, I don't know if I should go with Aaron Fromagers or Drew Brees. And at flex. I'm um, torn between Ricardo Lewis and Duke. John.
2: Message deleted. Next message.
1: Jimmy, it's Daniel here.
2: I just wanted to say I love the podcast. The conversation with you and Adam Carolla, it's like listening to two guys sitting down drinking some beers. Message saved. Next message. Jesse from Melbourne, and that's Melbourne, Australia. That's right, Jim. This thing has gone global, so congrats on the uh, whole new podcast thing. War elk for Australian Prime Minister? I'm out. Message saved. Next message.
1: Hey, Jim. it's uh Luke Walden here, L.A. Lakers head coach. Hey, I was out in Manhattan Beach this morning thinking about, you know, the smack off, all those types of things. Clone Wars is what I like.
2: Message deleted. Next message.
1: Rome, it's Rex in Albuquerque. Why does Hawk have
0: two middle names? Is this guy descended from English royalty? Does he feed his cat fancy Feast in that disgusting crystal... F-
2: message deleted. Next message.
1: Hi, uh, this is Andy
2: from Rockland calling back just to let Jim Rome know that um, I actually like his show, but sometimes... Um, I kinda wanna meet you, um, I don't know if, uh, you're real. Message saved. Next message. This is
1: Jeff and Norco. Hey man, let's get a, uh, in depth horse racing interview. Any chance you can hook us clones up with that? War Shared Belief, out.
2: Message saved. Next message.
1: Hey, Janet, uh, ah,
3: hey, it's Tiger.
2: Message deleted. Next message. Hey, this is John, and I just wanted to chime in on the Cleveland Indians and their, uh, stupid overrated record. The Cleveland Indians... Message deleted. Next message. Romy, this is Timo in Farmington. I just watched that Triple G Canelo fight, and what a freaking disgrace. Adelaide Bird, get out of there. Somebody throw her into the ground, or get Hawk, rah, to take her off into the sunset. Message deleted. Next message.
0: Romy, do you know what tacos... And OJ have in common.
2: Message deleted. Next message.
0: Rome, this is Ryan in Cincinnati. Grind actually begins on Sunday night when I'm at the gym hitting it up on the podcast and the cardio machines. Just want to say thank you for the podcast and the easy listening to help me get through my workout.
2: Message saved. Next message. Beeps in Studio City here. Hey, uh, Can you do me a favor and uh, let Hawk know? that I'm
0: going to have to take a rain check on that uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, session.
2: Message deleted. You have no more messages.
0: Damn. (laughs) Where to start? Our first call from Australia, Benny in Wisco, a fifth-place smack-off finisher getting some reps on the machine and some shots fired at Hawk. Dungeons and Dragons smack, putting the sparrow on Adelaide Bird. Look, there are a few things I'm pretty sure of. I'm pretty sure, for instance, that that was not Luke Walton calling me to talk Clone Wars from Manhattan Beach. I'm also pretty sure that was not the cat calling Janet on my voicemail, just as I'm sure that there is not a single OJ joke that I have not already heard. Hey, uh, Rome, what do OJ and tacos have in common? Oh, uh, I don't know. They're both killer at night. Hey, hey, oh, morons do better than that. You have to do better than that. Down me up do better here is your phone number 949 385 i mean no joke this is it last chance 949-385-0447 do better or i rip this thing once and for all now the truth is i'm having an absolute blast doing this podcast and there are a number of reasons for that it allows me to not only run down certain people that i haven't had a chance to speak to lately but to have the type of conversation with them that I normally could never have. Dirk Nowitzki is a perfect example of that. Now, I always say that we don't really know any of these guys. The guys that you think are the best guys are often a-holes. The guys who you might think are the biggest jerks are often some of the best dudes ever, except Dirk. Dirk is exactly as he seems, an unbelievable guy, an unbelievable player, and an ambassador for his sport. And I'm pumped because not only have I not spoken to him in a minute or two but I've never had the opportunity to have this kind of long form conversation with the future hall of famer and the big man absolutely crushed it so dirk rather than start with basketball I have to say I am a huge tennis guy I you love are. the sport I am I played it growing up basically i am pumped that it means as much to you as it does so let me first start right there dirk you brought back your pro celebrity tennis classic with the proceeds going to hurricane harvey how did the event go this past weekend
1: it was actually really good so on friday is the big night where uh we did a little fundraiser we had a dinner and we had a lot of gracious people come we had a little live auction uh we had amos lee as the entertainment at the end for everybody so uh that was a huge night and uh raised a lot of money and then on saturday was the actual tennis which uh, which is really only about having fun and um, the big night is the friday the the the, the fundraiser and that was that was amazing and um so Saturday we had fun. We had some great tennis players again. Owen Wilson came, Tommy Haas is there, uh so many great great celebs and Mike Modano actually showed up and is a good player and so we, we had some fun and um and uh so I'm glad it went really well for it. we had learned a lot from year one. We did last year for the first time and worked a lot of the Kinks out this year and uh it was uh everything was running a little more smooth and I uh, really enjoyed it.
0: Good for you. It sounds like a great event. So, how much money were you able to raise this time?
1: So, I'm, you know, La Cuban said about two weeks ago that he will match the proceeds up to two million dollars. Mm. So, you know, we invited every big time friend that we know, and you know, just trying to make uh, Cubes pony up. And um, I don't think we quite got to two million, but uh, we're doing the final numbers probably tomorrow and uh, the rest of the week. Uh, but I'm hoping we raised over a million, uh, which would be amazing. Um, and then Cuban has to match that. So, about the final numbers, uh, we haven't gone over. Um, but it, it was a, it was a great night on Friday. Like I said, we had a lot of great sponsors and, and and really great people show up, and they were really kind.
0: All right. Before I leave that topic, let me ask you. Then you talked about Mike Madonna, and he's a good player. Dirk, what kind of a tennis player are you? For instance, at seven feet, I know you can cover a lot of the court. So, are you a serve and volley guy, or would you rather hit winners from behind the baseline?
1: You know, I'm actually I'm comparing myself more to John Isner. You know, Mm. Uh, a big guy, but not great serve and volley. You know, my my volley game is my in between game is is not great, and, and volley for sure not. So I'm I'm more using my big serve and then when the, the opponent comes a little short, I want to step in, preferably with my forehand, and and, and end the point. Uh, any point that rallies a little longer and involves a lot of movement uh, definitely doesn't play to my advantage.
0: My man, I don't think I'm going to see you on the clay courts, right? Just knocking the groundies from behind <laughs> Actually, the baseline.
1: We, we grew up in Germany. All we have is clay, basically. Uh, so I grew up playing on clay, but, you know, I would say about thirty. 35 years ago when I started my movement was also a little better Uh, (laughs) so now it's all a big power game
0: When you say you grew up in Germany playing on clay I think about Boris Becker and you know Wait, the amazing thing, Dirk, you're, you're not as old as I am, so maybe you don't remember. I'm only a couple of years older than Boris, so I can remember when he won Wimbledon at 17. Yeah. I was only a couple of years later. I played high school tennis. Dirk, you know, forgive my language, but this guy at 17 was a fucking man. And he's serving and balling grown-ass men off the court. I'd never seen anything like it. Were you old enough to remember that when that happened?
1: I, I was. It was amazing. Uh, you know, we had there a great tennis era with with Boris. Michael Stee came up there uh one Wimbledon one time actually against Boris in the final I remember that very well and then on the ladies side you know Steffi was 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 dominating uh she won one slam after the other uh she was amazing so tennis was actually a hot hot sport there in Germany for for a long, long time. We had some great, great people playing and a great representative. So uh, yeah, it was, that's why I actually part uh, why I started playing. And it was funny, I loved Boris so much back in the days that I went, got my hair cut, and I told the lady, hey, I want my hair like Boris Becker. <laughs> And she she put anything on there, but it, it didn't matter. Just the thought counted that I had, I had my hair like Boris.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. All right, so, are only two guys from the 1998 NBA draft are still in the league. You and your former teammate, Vince Carter. So are we talking about some kind of a standoff between a couple of legends? <laughs> and if so, who is going to blink first?
1: So, you know, Vince actually said he's going to try to make it longer than me. Um, so we'll see how that works. You know, we had a, we, I get along with him great. We text occasionally, and every time we, we play them, we talk a little bit of half court and, you know, about some of the issues and some of the stuff that comes up as you get older and how many pills do you take before the game and <laughs> sort, of, sort of stuff like that. Uh, but he's, he's a great guy and I love him and he's been, he's been actually really, really efficient still lately and he's been, uh, he's been fun to watch. So, gotcha. I don't know who, who's gonna make it longer. Uh, I definitely want to play this year and, uh, and, and, and see how it goes and, um, you know, I signed a two year deal. I'd love I'd love to play those two but we'll kinda have to see how the how year one goes.
0: I was gonna say, Dirk, I guess at this age we're all pretty much day to day, but you did sign a two year deal and the yeah. team's got the option for the second deal. I mean, what's the plan? Are you looking to play both seasons and yeah, then call it? Well
1: so, I mean in my head when you know, obviously you, you go over the the your options and stuff and when the Mavs said, Hey, we want you to sign a two year deal then obviously in my head I'm thinking, yeah, I I'd love to fulfill this deal, I would I would love to played two more years but you know last year for the first time i had some weird stuff I had some achilles problems i missed almost the first two months of the season which was really really frustrating it was hard to kind of work work my way back mid-season to sort of uh, you know game shape and so it was it was it was a tough time for me and If that happens again and and I miss like 30, 40 games, then then it really doesn't make any sense. You know, I want to be out there. I don't want to be frustrated with with something and battling back from injury all the time. But if the year goes well and the the body holds up good, uh, then why not try another? So we kind of have to see and and, and wait and uh, kind of, Listen to my body, and then we can make that decision next
0: summer. Sure, especially since that's not something you ever went through before last year. Now, Dirk, normally when somebody says it's not about the money, to me it's about one thing, the money. Except over the course of your career, you have left reportedly nearly $80 million on the table. Now, a hometown discount, Dirk, on one deal is one thing, but $80 million is another. Nobody leaves that kind of money on the table. Why have you? You know,
1: I was uh I was really fortunate in my career. Um, don't get me wrong, I made a lot of money in this league. Uh Mark has been incredibly loyal to me, um, on and off the floor. He's, he's a great supporter of mine. Um and you know, he you know, when I was after my rookie deal I was what, twenty three, twenty four and that's when I made my first max deal, my six year deal at the time. He made me his franchise player and you know, I just felt like so fortunate to be in this situation. I never really thought in my entire or growing up that, that I could would be in this, in those shoes one day where I can be a franchise player and make max money. I mean that's like a dream come true. So uh, I think just that relationship we have with Cubes, with the city of Dallas, that, that was always there. I always wanted to be here, I wanted to be loyal and I wanted to be on a good team and, and moving forward, so I always uh, wanted to help out, and, and like I said, and, and Mark has been always also great to me. So we just uh, had a great relationship. and I'll tell this story all the time. You know, how many owners come to the to the the Best Players bachelor party? So Cubes came to mind, and we had a blast. And that kind of shows what kind of relationship we have and, and had over the years, and uh, it's, been, uh, it's been awesome.
0: Hey, look, Dirk, I, I've had a bachelor party. You've had a bachelor party. We've all had bachelor parties. I know better than to ask you about the bachelor party. <laughs> Is there anything you can share about the bachelor party involving Cubes?
1: Uh, yeah, we went one night within Toronto, and then we did two nights in Vegas, and that's uh, that's about as much as <laughs> as much as I could share.
0: That's than <laughs> nothing about my Cubes. He he's kind of athletic. Now he can get after it a little bit, right?
1: Cubes uh, Cubes is uh, is the man. He. Uh, you know, he was an athlete himself, uh, played a little rugby in college, um, so and he loves the sport of basketball. He plays all the time. Actually, the other day, last week, we are in there shooting, and he's on the other side uh, getting a little workout in with uh, with one of our rebounders. So, yeah, he's he still thinks that uh, at 60-something that he can play, so it's uh, good for him.
0: You know, Dirk, you mentioned the bachelor party. So let me ask you, your wife, Jessica, is Kenyan, and she grew up in Sweden, but you had a traditional Kenyan wedding. And yeah. that included the cutting of a goat. I, I got to know, what was that like and what was the entire experience like? So
1: so the whole, the whole day kind of felt a little bit like a hidden camera prank, uh, <laughs> but we didn't really, I didn't really know what to expect. But, you know, Jess said before we actually drove up to the, to the wedding, she said, Hey, no, no, now bear with me and keep an open mind here. This is like a, a really traditional old Kenyan wedding, and I'm just looking at her like, what are you talking about, right? <laughs> So then uh, the whole day, there was, like, games. There were, I had to dance with all these dance groups, the Maasai uh, warriors. And, like, it was, like, there were, like, four tents. There were, like, five, 600 people there. It was, it was amazing. But the funniest moment probably was, um, so my parents didn't make it because um, they were older. They didn't want to travel all the way. Um, so really overnight, they, they gave me a, a family uh, so basically, this this is your dad because it would have been like really disrespectful if my if my parents were not there. So they just gave me fake parents for the day, <laughs> oh, my and God. it was it was so funny. Uh, the, I think my dad was a Swedish guy, and my <laughs> my uncle was a Dutch guy that I had just met that day. <laughs> oh, no. I was like, "How you doing, Dad?" <laughs> and my my uncle gets on up there, the Dutch guy I've never met, and he, he he so his role was he had to hold a whole little speech. So this guy holds his speech out is but met me one day and he's like, Yeah, and growing up I mean, we had a great time. Dirk was always so athletic and a sports guy. And just pulled his speech out of nowhere, and it was, oh, that whole day was just, uh, was classic. Oh,
0: know? that is incredible. Yeah. So, Dirk, have you maintained any kind of relationship with your fake family, your fake dad, <laughs> your fake <laughs> uncle? I,
1: ha- I haven't seen him since, so unfortunately, uh, we, we did exchange emails at the time afterwards, but, uh, I, I uh, uh, we never really caught up again. But, you know, also cutting the goat, we, uh, so they asked me, um, but the day before, they're like, "Hey, part of the tradition is you actually have to kill a goat, and then grill it, and then feed it to your wife." And uh, it's like, uh, "I'm mean, the killing part is a little aggressive for me." <laughs> so they they had they already killed it, and then they brought it up already grilled. So all I had to do was like cut a piece of the, the shoulder off and feed it to my wife. Which means I'm gonna I'm gonna carry on on my shoulders for the rest of my life and. Then I I cut a part of her uh, the the ribs meat off and said okay this is I will she will be part of my flesh for the rest of my life so so anyway so that's that was part of that but I did not have uh, the guts to say yeah I want to kill the goat I didn't I didn't do it hey,
0: Dirk I'm I'm telling you I'm getting uh, chills hearing this and 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 respectfully respectfully so and I don't want to speak out of place but was there any part of you that thought can I just not feed her a piece of cake
1: cake wasn't the- wasn't an option. Uh, you could sacrifice day. a cake. <laughs> there was no cake there. I'm, I'm mess- maybe, maybe later on. But that the whole tradition was with the goat. Everything is with goats. Uh, back in the day, I guess when when you when you went to ask the father um, for 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 the daughter's hand, you had to pay him in goats and stuff like that. So they they did a lot over goats. And uh, and so the the goat is part of the tradition, and I had to, I was supposed to kill the goat, and uh, I I just couldn't do it.
0: No, I see you working. I understand that. I think most of us do. You know, and I appreciate <laughs> you sharing that story so much. You know, took on a really serious note, your kids are of mixed race, and I know you told the undefeated a year ago that what you saw in terms of race and social injustice in America, quote, was not pretty. I wonder, and they're young, but how much do you worry about their future in terms of experiencing racism and prejudice later on in life?
1: Yeah, you know, unfortunately, we're we living in unfortunate times where you would think, you know, you look in the in the headlines and you are like you see seeing stuff, and like this is we're almost in 2018, and I feel like you know this this stuff shouldn't be happening anymore at, at this stage. We've been through a lot as. As people, and I just feel like at some points we regressed a little bit, and that's uh that 's very unfortunate and you know all you can do with your kids i'm sh- i 'm sure at some point something will happen, somebody will say something um, as you just you just try to teach them to uh, you try to educate them as much as you can you try to you know teach them to be be open-minded and, and, like, see people as, as ignorant and move on, don't get in fights and stuff like that. But, I you know, sometimes emotions uh, get a better of people. But I just want them to be as educated as I can. And so, so when they get in, in, in tough situations, so they can make a nice, cool, calm, collected, hopefully educated decision uh, and, and not to get in trouble. But, you know, that's, that's obviously either said and done. Uh, we're still a couple years hopefully away from that. You know, my our oldest is only four, so we still got some time there. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're trying to expose it. We're sp- trying to expose them to a lot of different cultures. We, tra- we just traveled again for two months, and he we went, to, went to Africa again, went to Europe, went all over the place, and I want them to see things and hear things and, and, and experience things so that later on in life they can make the right decisions.
0: You know, Derek, it really is amazing. I think what you just said, it's true for so many people, and you are truly one of the good guys, but all it takes is one bad guy who's having a bad night or whose idea of fun is a little bit different. I want to play you something really quickly because I know you know Charles Barkley pretty well. Bar- mm-hmm. Barkley is amazing. He said something to me once on this show, Dirk, that I want you to hear and I want to get your reaction to in terms of what you just said, that you have to walk away, but it's not always easy. Jim, I
3: don't worry about what everybody thinks about me. Anybody sitting out there listening to your show – You can't let a random stranger just throw a drink in your face and say, oh, you know what? I'm in the limelight. I should let that go. That's never going to happen, Jim. If I'm sitting around with you one night and somebody throw a drink on me and
0: you, we're going to beat their ass down, Jim. I promise you that. They're going to sue you. That's what they want to do. They're trying to hook you, Chuck. They're trying to get you to bite so they get paid. And you know that. that. I, I, I wish
3: I could get to the point where I was mature enough to let that go. I wish I I do. I wish I was man enough to let that go. But, Jim, I can't let it go. I'm not even going to lie to you. You know, me me and you you are cool. I ain't going to ever get on your show and lie to you. If you throw a drink on me, I'm going to beat your ass, plain and simple.
0: I think, Dirk, that's pretty much what you're talking about, right? It's not always the easiest thing to do, just to walk away. Charles made it pretty clear, Dirk, he's not walking away
1: yeah he made it pretty clear and and, and Charles and I obviously are uh, a little bit different personalities I think I'm a little more more calm a little more uh, collected at times but I do agree I mean if, if somebody does something really really disrespectful to you then then it is hard and it'll be hard for my kids when they're older uh, to walk away from something um, but you know and let's say a mistake does happen all you all you can do is afterwards try to make it right you know um try to you know, be there for them and uh, and and support them in uh, whatever way they, uh, that I can, and we'll we'll go from there. But hopefully, we'll we'll never be in that uh,
0: situation. You bet. You said that perfectly, Derek. You're already a great dad. All right. Listen, <clears throat> you're so lucky, and well, not lucky, but it was set up like this. You're going to spend your entire career with the same team, and so few guys can say that. But I know you look around the league and you see other mega stars joining forces to create super teams. Were you ever on any level tempted to try something like that yourself?
1: You know, I always said if uh, if we wouldn't have won the championship here in Dallas, then uh, then that would have been an option for me. You know, if uh, I think winning a championship is just such an unbelievable accomplishment and 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 you know also experience for you. You know, not only the uh, on a personal level, but with the team and with the, when I saw the city here, how it went went bananas, and we had like. 300,000 people on the streets in the parade. Uh, I, I want that. I want anyone to, to, to go through this one time and really experience it. So I always said if, if now, if we wouldn't have won it in 2011, there would have been a possibility. Um, but when we won it then, you know, I, I kind of knew this was the place I wanted to be. Um, you know, I've been here so long. It's kind of like, it's almost like, you know, I'm part of the community. You know, know it's not like people are always saying, joking-wise, you know, Dallas, oh, Dirk's from Dallas, you know. <laughs> Obviously, no, I'm not, but, you know, oh, it just feels great. like that. I've been, I've been here so long. I've been part of the community here so long. Uh, we've been doing great charity work for so long. It's just like uh, I belong here, and anything would... Anything in a different jersey at this point would just feel completely weird.
0: It's a great compliment, but it is funny that Dirk is from Dallas. Yeah. You know, you played with some amazing guys, but let me ask you in your 19 years, you didn't play with them, but you shared the court with the likes of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and LeBron James. All different dudes, all different players, all dominant in their own right. Of those three, if I put you on the spot, in their prime, who was the guy?
1: Uh, Jim, I mean, uh, you're you're making it tough now. I mean, you uh, honestly, you can't go wrong with either. I'm a big Michael Jordan guy, and um, you know, I've, I've watched him in the '90s. So he's part of the reason why I watched the NBA. You know, back in the day in Germany in the '90s, you know, you can only catch like one or two games on German TV. And it was just starting to be the Bulls era. And, you know, just every other week or every week, it was basically Chicago on. So I, I was actually a diehard, uh, Chicago fan. Jordan, Pippen later on with Kukos and Rodman. And that was, that was my team. So I'm going to go with the greatest of all time in my opinion. And that's, uh, that's Michael Jordan. But, you know, I only caught Michael at the end. He actually made the shot in game six in Utah. And then he retired, actually, and I came in the following year. So I was so mad and disappointed that I wasn't going to play against him anymore. And then he ended up coming back a couple years later in Washington. I was able to compete against him and, and interact with him, and that was that was fantastic. But but let me tell you something. I mean, Kobe and uh, and LeBron will go down as two of the best players to ever play this game. And um, it was, uh, yeah, they're can't go wrong there, but the goat in my eyes will always
0: be MJ. No, the goat in your eyes was the one that you had to kill and then feed to your <laughs> wife, Dirk. <laughs> Besides, that, <laughs> Besides that, that, listen before before I let you go. The one thing we can't dismiss or dispute is the fact that Mike and Kobe, LeBron, to a certain extent, and you, some of the greatest trash talkers of all time, Dirk. And I know you have fun with it, but I gotta say, one of my favorite lines of yours ever is, "You should learn Chinese because you'll be in China soon." I have <laughs> Who to know. told Dirk, you that? I have to know. I mean, is that something? Do you remember the first time you said that to somebody? And was that an opponent, or were you just talking shit to one of your teammates? Yeah,
1: no. You know, actually, when the game is on, I try to focus, like, on the, on myself and stuff. Unless somebody actually comes weird at me, uh, then I might right. say something back. But I'm I'm really not the trash-talker in the game. Like, okay, occasionally, I might say and one or something like that. But <laughs> that's about as far as I go. Now, in practice, all bets are off. You know, especially... You know, as you get older, you know, sometimes you can't really motivate yourself for practice right. So I feel like with talking and then, you know, conversation with the other players kind of gets me going. So. Uh, I feel like in practice all bets are off and we're having we're having a lot of fun and uh the Chinese line was a little aggressive, uh I I remember but I can't I, I don't know when I used it for the first time, it might have been a few years ago, but uh that one definitely was uh was a low blow. But uh, it's 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 all for fun, you know. They know me. I I, I literally I come in, in the morning, I joke joke around nonstop. Uh uh, I clown on everybody with clothes, starting with clothes with the haircut i mean we 're just having fun in the locker room and uh, that's definitely something I'm going to miss once I walk away. It's, it's just the camaraderie, the, the chemistry, the, the locker room talk. I'm, I'm definitely going to miss that. Oh, for
0: sure. And a final thought. You've been so great, Dirk. I know Hasselhoff is your guy. I know you once said that you sing a song, Looking for Freedom at the Free Throw Line, to calm yourself down. You even broke it out. You broke out a guitar on a German talk show once and sang it. In fact, Dirk, for those who have not heard it, it is so amazing – Indulge me for just a few seconds. I want the folks to hear at least a little bit if they haven't heard it yet. I've been looking for freedom. i looking so This is good stuff, Dirk. Freedom. Really good. So then, when you scored your 30,000th point, TMZ ran down the hoff for his reaction, and here's what he had to say, Dirk.
1: You know, I've been a fan of Dirk for a long time. This all started a few years ago when I found out that he was actually singing Looking for Freedom, which is a song that was a big hit in Germany in 1989. I think it's time for Dirk and I to do a duet together, and we could sing that at one of the games. I think it would would be a big hit.
0: Dirk, this is amazing. Where does this stand? When and where is this going to happen? And are you going to sing one of his songs or are the two of you going to sit down and knock out something original? I know there's a lot of questions there.
1: Yeah, there is a lot of questions. So I've I've actually met uh, I met a I think it was at the uh, there was an all Star game one year in Vegas. I can't remember what year that was and uh so i met him there and uh just talked a little bit briefly and warmed ups at the sign lines and uh i mean the duet sounds uh, fantastic you know and so growing up in in germany night rider was just massive and here for too. some reason he was a, his music was a lot bigger in germany than it was here but uh, the uh, the night rider show was like one of my favorites i mean when he was talking in his watch and hey like kid come around the corner i need you and i mean there's uh, <laughs> That was just that was fantastic. So I was i was a huge hop fan and um yeah, the The Looking for Freedom is really really the only song that I remember uh that he sang and uh so that's uh that's obviously my favorite. So hopefully we can make that duet happen. I mean I got my guitar here at the house, um, I'll practice once in a while, I'm uh, I'll be ready.
0: I got one last question for you, Dirk. you've been awesome. You threw down two dunks, Dirk, two dunks last year, so I know you're gonna pick your spots pretty carefully. Who is the one guy that you want to dunk on this season more than anybody else?
1: oh man uh, I have we have to uh, rewind the clock like ten years uh you know dunking is uh, is a tough task for me uh at this point. you know, I think I got like one or two last season uh that's that's about it um so um, I don't know I mean uh. I still love to compete. I uh, love to go out there and every night and show the youngsters, hey, the old guy can still do it and then he can still get a basket when, when needed. Um, but I think dunking uh, is not going to be in the cards next year.
0: Yes, it will. Vince Sanity, that's the guy you throw down on. You get you Vince. Know, actually,
1: so last year there was a switch, right? So I got Vince on me. I was like, ah, oh, he's <laughs> a burger, right? So I go right to the post. I, I'll, um, I get the ball. And I was like, oh, I'll just just hit him with a quick right shoulder fade, and he knew the whole time the play was coming. I remember he was in Memphis last year, our last game, and he went up and blocked my fadeaway. That entire their bench was hyped, and I was oh, I was so mad at him. He let me have it after the game and during the game. I couldn't believe he blocked my fadeaway. So that was uh, yeah. If I can, I'm gonna get him back this year.
0: You see what I'm talking about? I literally could not have asked for a better conversation than the one I just had with the Dallas Mavericks legend, Dirk Nowitzki. Just as you could not ask for a worse, more annoying errand than having to run to the post office because you can't find a stamp. Listen, these days, you can get practically everything on demand, like our podcast. Listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So why are you still going to the post office and dealing with their limited hours when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? Anything that you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk with Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. So you can get postage whenever you need it, 24 and 7. As an example, we grind out every single day here on the program. Back in the day, if I had to get something out, or I had to get something to a potential guest or a team, I'd have to leave the office and get to the post office. It was horrible. And I will never do that ever again. And nor should you. UStamps.com. Do not interrupt what you're doing to leave for the post office. And right now, use my name, Rome, for this very special offer. It's a four-week trial. It includes postage and a digital scale. But don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone. It's at the very top of the homepage. And type in Rome. Again, Stamps.com, codename Rome. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office ever again. I know I won't, and neither should you. So let me tell you about my man, William McGinnis. He is an absolute boss. And I know this because I've been talking to Willie for a long, long time, really throughout his entire career, from Long Beach Poly High School to his All-American days at USC, into the NFL when he was stringing together Super Bowls with the Patriots, and even now as he continues to dominate off the field as an analyst on NFL Network, where he can be seen throughout the week on NFL Total Access at 7 p.m. Eastern willie always brings it i always look forward to chopping it up with him and he never disappoints i remember getting on a plane last season and you sat right down and while everybody was messing around with their phones you immediately got right into breaking down video no small talk at all all focus where did the approach come from and where did you get that work ethic
3: I think it just started at a young age, you know, with my parents and, uh, you know, me just wanting something a little bit better. Um, You know, I I grew up in Long Beach, as you know. Education, sports, that was my way, you know, to move forward and and to do some of the things I wanted to do. But I learned at a young age from my father, man, who was a tough, hard worker, that, you know, you got to always grind and you got to always work. Nobody's going to give anything to you. And if you're going to do something, then you can't, you can't half-ass do it. you got to do it all the way.
0: Let me ask you about Long Beach Poly. It's a national high school powerhouse. And, Willie, my wife Janet grew up in Long Beach. She ran track and played volleyball at Poly, so I got a very early dose of what it meant to be a jackrabbit. <laughs> but I tried to remind her, I'm a SoCal native. I'm in this business. I know all about Poly. But let me hear it from you. You started in both football and basketball there. What was it like to ball at Long Beach Poly?
3: You know, that's the mecca of, of, of not just sports but education. You know, they call it the home of scholars and champions for a reason. And, you know, I started going there because I was in uh, the college, et cetera, in the classes, and I wanted to go there because when you're growing up in Long Beach, Long Beach Poly was the mecca for sports. So if you, if you were competitive and you wanted to go and compete against the best and play with the best, it was no question you were going there, you know, for sports and, and track as well. And, you know, football, basketball, of course. So just going there, man, was one of those experiences where I watched a lot of guys, the Mark Carriers, the Leonard Russells, um, the history that Polly had and all the other players that came through there um, that was from the area. So, of course, I wanted to follow in their footsteps and, and be a part of that. And I knew I I would have a great chance thinking about college and school academically uh, and football-wise, I was going to get a look. If I went there and performed at a certain level, of course, I was going to get a look uh, in my sport. And I knew I was going to get a great education. So it was a no-brainer for me. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really have a choice.
0: And then, and then you've got the OBC itself as an example. Again, my wife Janet's from Long Beach. But Willie, check this: her dad built the house himself that they still live in more than 50 years later. They never wow. left. The family's a third-generation Pauly family, and then one of the guys who works on this show, Willie. He's in his 30s. He's from Minneapolis. He told me that growing up, he knew all about Long Beach like it was this mythical place. So, what was it like for you to grow up in Long Beach?
3: It was great, man. It's a city. It, it, it's a big city, but it's kind of like it's a small city because you, you, you kind of you're familiar with everybody. You're familiar with everything that's going on there. For me, there's no choice. Like my youth football program is there now the long beach Patriots. I come back. Uh, um, I work with the long beach poly high school and, you know, for that matter, a lot of schools in the, uh, long beach unified school district, because I just don't, I just don't deal with one kid or one type of kid that go to one school. I deal with all the kids in the community. So, um, I'm heavily involved in my community and giving back and, and, and what, you know, what's going on there and trying to help rebuild it, reface it, which I think the city's doing a great job. And, um, when you grow up there, man, it's just special. It's, it's something you can't really describe, and it's something that I always want to be a part of. So I never left. I mean, I, I, I went away to New England and, and played for 12 years. I went away to Cleveland played for another three. But in the offseason, I've always been back and been there for my community, been there for the kids, and, and, and just trying to stay glued. to to what gave me my foundation as a man.
0: You mentioned youth football. You grew up with Snoop, and you played youth football with him. And when you were at USC, you had a firsthand look as Snoop was blowing up. You were there when the first album dropped. You were there for the video shoots. You were there for some of the parties. And you were still in college. What were those times like?
3: It was great, man. It was was the birth of our city. It just took our city to another level musically. Um, Him, Warren G., Nate. I mean we had a lot of artists come out of there and 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 that was the biggest thing pretty much in hip hop. I think it was 92 where he signed his first deal. Somewhere around 91, 92 when he when he did Undercover Cop and that and after that man he pretty much took the roof off the rap game being my brother and and watching what they were doing and then me being at FC at that university was like a dream for me. And just seeing it all unravel, seeing everything happen, I was just like, man, I just remember we were playing in the sandbox. We were all hanging out at the high school. We were going to these these little parties and and doing all this stuff in Long Beach. And now everybody has an opportunity or everybody's on a major platform, like doing something great. It, it, It was a little surreal, but, I mean, to this day, he's still doing his thing. He's an icon in the music game. People know him. They know his name all over the country, all over the world, for that matter.
0: That's it. Yeah, I mean, he's still doing his thing. You're still doing your thing. And then you went to USC, Willie. And I know for a fact that you love the way that Junior Seau played linebacker. How much did that factor into your decision to go there and play?
3: It was big. I mean, it was big. Um, The one thing I wanted to do is I wanted to go somewhere where I was going to get a great education and be close for my family to come to the games, you know, watching Junior at the time. He gave birth to that number 55, and, I mean, he was a savage on the football field. And some of the things he did just won't ever probably be done, be repeated, probably won't ever be done again, man. But he gave birth to that number, and just watching that defense, um, Tim Ryan and some of the other guys that played on that defense was amazing. And um, I think that year they went to the Rose Bowl, and they beat Michigan in the Rose Bowl. The funny story is I went on – like maybe three recruiting trips, and I had a whole bunch planned. I went on three trips. I went to Colorado, UCLA, and I went to USC, and I canceled the rest of my trips. I didn't even want to go anymore. Like, I was like, it's a waste of time. I don't want to waste these schools' time. I don't want to go on the planes. I don't want to visit. I already know where I'm going. There's there's no question I'm going to USC.
0: Willie, very sadly, Junior dealt with so many challenges and so many demons in his last years. Knowing him the way you did and as close as you were to him, what went through your mind when you first heard the terrible news that he had taken his own life?
3: I was sad. I was sad for him. I was sad for his family. I was sad for the game of football. Um, I knew that Junior was struggling. He never, he never gave signs or told anybody what he was going through. He was very private, very quiet. Whenever you saw him, you know he's, he was upbeat. And he would give you that, what's up, buddy? And you have conversation, and he had that electric smile about him. But I was sad, and I was I was I was surprised and shocked like everybody else because, for a guy like that, you would figure that somebody he would turn to somebody or somebody would be able to reach out and help him. But uh, the way he was, he wasn't letting anybody in. You know, it 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 hurt me because my relationship and, and growing up watching him and then being able to meet him, and him passing the torch to me, giving me the uh, the number and. And having our little ceremony on student sports, they kind of put it all together. Uh, we did the little photo shoot and all that, and I still got the picture where I'm, he got me on his neck. <laughs> I'm sitting on his shoulders, believe it or not. <laughs> Come on. Um, and we did a little photo shoot. Like, oh, I, I just I just started playing back everything that uh, I have ever learned and talked to in our, in, in our moments that we had. So um, it was sad, man, not just for, like I said, for him and his family, but it was sad in the football world as
0: well. When you say he, he'd say, what's up, buddy? The funny thing is, I sat down also on an airplane with him once, and he looked at me and he had a giant smile like Junior always did and said, what's up, buddy? And I'd say that that was just something that he would say to a media guy whose name he didn't remember. But the fact is, he buddied, or what's up, buddy, to everybody, didn't he? Everybody. <laughs> everybody. You know, USC, Willie, it, it's such an extremely tight-knit family, but as is the case with family, any family, there are going to be challenges Especially when the most famous member of that family, arguably, is one Ornthal J. Simpson. I mean, you were there, Willie, when he was in all his glory. And like most of us, I'm sure you were mesmerized watching that slow-speed white Bronco chase. But the difference is, you knew him. You were a valued member of that Trojan family. He's going to get out soon, Willie. I mean, what if he were to call you and say, Willie, what's up? It's the juice. You want to play 18, maybe get a few pops? What do you do then? Are you down?
3: (laughs) Well, one one thing is I still don't I still haven't developed a golf game so I don't I don't okay. play golf. I mean he's a polarizing figure. Um he is an alumni of the school and I, I can recall being in Boston, um, it was young in my career, I was sitting in Champions and I had stopped to get something to eat. And I was, of course they have a million TVs in there at the Marriott Hotel and the one thing I remember looking at, all the TVs just went to the car chase. Mm. And I was just sitting there the entire time watching the whole thing unfold. And I, I just couldn't believe it. Like, I was like, is this really happening? And and I went back to Boston for kickoff. against you know, the Patriots versus Kansas City. And I was staying in the exact same hotel that I ended up watching the car chase. And I ended up having lunch at Champions. They remodeled it and redid it, of course. But... It's funny you bring that up, man. He's no telling what's going to happen. Um, it's unfortunate. Some of the things he's went through and some of the things that, you know, the families had to deal with. But, I mean, that, that subject right there, that's, that's, that's such a Jim. You know that.
0: I know it. I know it's going to be really interesting when he gets out. And the school has already made it pretty clear, you know, don't be coming around here. You're not welcome like that around here anymore. You know, Will, you're a finalist for the 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame. You've had an amazing football life. What would it mean to you to get that yellow blazer?
3: You know, it, it would be amazing, of course. And I always say that I didn't—I didn't play the game for the individual accolades. And I know that may sound funny, but when when I when I when I decided to play football and went and when I got drafted, you know, my main goal was to go in and win and win Super Bowls. I've always been a team guy. I've always focused on trying to help and make people better, and through team success, you always have individual success. And, and Jim, here's the other thing. Where I played and, and how we played, it wasn't about stats. It wasn't about numbers. Um, our job changed every single week. I wasn't a guy that just put my hand in the dirt and rushed to pass, or I had like 80-something sacks. I mean, I wish I could. i have 100 and some sacks if I did, but my, that wasn't my job. I played true outside linebackers, so maybe thirty-five, forty percent of the time, I was in coverage versus a guy who rushes the passer every single hmm. down. Right. So their numbers, far as sacks and all that, is going to be more than mine. So I was conditioned as a player in a system where it wasn't about individualism or or individual statistics. It's about as a team, we're going to do whatever it takes to get a win. And I think that kind of hinders the process for a lot of guys who played in our system.
0: Sure. And as part of that system, do your job, do your job. And that's what you did. Now, Willie, there's doing your job, there's working, and then there's making your work, your life. As an example, Tom Brady will tell you football is not just a job or even a passion, but it's his life. Every single choice and decision that he makes is made with becoming a better football player in mind. I mean, he's maniacal in his approach and process, but... He says that you, as much as anybody, is the reason for that approach. He says without you, there probably wouldn't even be a TB12. What does he mean by that? What did you say to him back in the day?
3: Well, it was just his work ethic. And, you know, he came in with a chip on his shoulder. He came in with the grit and the attitude that he needed. And at the time where he, in 2001, when he pretty much took over, the defense was the foundation of that team. You know, so you had, you know, you had Ty, Lawyer, myself, um brewski ted all the guys on defense and we grind it whether it's on the field or off the field we try to compete in every single way and one of those ways of getting better was a guy named alex guerrero uh who was a muscle tissue specialist i really don't really have a real name because he does so much and i started bringing alex up to help prevent injury to keep me on the football field when you're battling little little things, body maintenance and all those things. And Alex is amazing. I can't describe everything that he does, but I introduced him to the team and to Tom. And I think he's Tom's way uh, of thinking, and and he extends football careers. And he's a big part of why um, Tom has TB12. He's a big part of of the reason why um, Tom, myself, and a lot, Gronk, and all the other, Randy Moss, all the other guys who were there, had so much success and they're so consistent and they stay on the football field so I think that's one of the big reasons Tom was alluding to that because I'm the guy who introduced him uh, to the organization and to Tom and a lot of the players on the team
0: of course you play for Bill Belichick and you can make the argument that while Parcells was about as good as they come he might have been the best motivator but then there's Belichick and everybody else everybody's got a Belichick story if you had to tell one what is your favorite Belichick story
3: Wow. Um, I think my favorite story, man, is when he gave us a speech before the Super Bowl and he was kind of, he kind of running out of ways to get guys motivated. You, you've heard all the speeches. You've heard everything. Um, you know, when coaches bring it up or players bring it up and there's one, this one particular time that we're, we're, we're playing and, um, it was after the first Super Bowl. Uh, we're in the meeting and, He's getting fired up, and he's talking, and everybody's tuned in. And then he pulls out the Lombardi trophy. And he tells us, like, all the stuff that he put us through, all the hard work that he had put us through, all the grinding, all the times of him being on our back and not letting up and not give, you know, not, not, not letting us, you know, slack or, you know, us sacrificing for the team. I mean, it was this great speech. And he pulls out the trophy I, I'm just telling you, man, he almost brought tears to everybody, everybody's eyes in the room. Um, there was no way we was losing that game. Um, and you looked around and guys were sweating in their suits and, 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 and had that look. And teary-eyed, I mean, it was the most, uh, I would say, the, 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 the most inspirational speech. And you're talking about getting guys pumped up, ready to tear something up. We was ready to go. So, I will give you that story. Um, there's plenty more, but they're, they're they're R-rated, or you can't say them, or you can't talk about them because <laughs> it's it's in-house stuff only. But that's a great one.
0: That is a great one, and I think I'm gonna walk off on that one, Willie.
3: Hey Jim, could I just say, man, you was you're one of the pioneers in the game, man, and you've been doing this a long, long time, man, and you and you do it the right way, and you've helped me with my career. You've always uh, been 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 fair, you've always definitely been honest a lot of people couldn't ha- handle the honesty, especially when you first started um I have a lot of respect for you, man. I always watch you I always appreciate your commentary I listen to you, and the one thing I respect about you, man is you keep it one hundred you tell it like it is, and you do a great job at what you do man so it's always a pleasure to come on you've been a friend for years, and I have a lot of respect for you man keep keep it up keep doing a uh, keep doing a great job.
0: My man, William McGinnis, I appreciate him and I appreciate the conversation as always. And that is already it, episode four in the books. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. And listen, don't forget to subscribe, because as soon as you do, you will not have to go looking for this thing ever again. It will find you automatically. Remember, we've got the podcast living on iTunes, Google Play, and JimRome.com, so you're totally covered. Now, before I get out, let me talk to the iTunes users for just one second. If you're using an Apple product and you've got an extra minute or two and you can leave a review, it goes such a long way increasing the visibility of the pod. It is easily the single best thing that you can do to help us grow this thing. You guys have been absolutely incredible to me. And understand, I do appreciate all the support very, very much. Now, while you're waiting for episode five, you can get caught up on our previous podcast with Aaron Rodgers, Bob Costas, and Adam Carolla. And you can tune into the daily radio program, which airs live on CBS Sports Radio and streams on JimRome.com Monday through Friday from 12 to 3 Eastern. This has been an absolute blast. And trust me, we are already looking forward to and working on Episode 5. Until then, thanks again. I am out. See you next time.